Okay, this morning I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, and then I'm going to read in Ephesians, and then in Colossians. I'll just read these three verses, and then we'll, we'll just be before God for what he has for us. And again, this is, this is almost, uh, you, know, you don't want to title things too much, but uh, it's how to get peace. How, how, how do we get peace? And so here is Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. Ephesians 2 and verse 14, it says this, For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of petition between us. And what would be, in this sense, the middle wall of petition between us and God? It would be, first, we have to have the old nature crucified in Romans 6, 6. But what would be in between us and God? It would be sins. And that middle wall of petition has been broken down. The law is what reveals that. Because the law in, the law in Romans 7, 12 was holy, just, and good. Was then that which is holy, just, and good meant, meant to be wrong and evil for me? No, it just, the law, God only gave the law to show us just what we cannot do apart from Jesus Christ. So then we have Colossians uh, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And it says, <clears throat> In having made peace, having made peace. What an, really, what it says in, in the original is making, having made peace and continually making it through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated, alienated, a non-participator in the life that's ours in Christ, and that life is known by the fruit in Isaiah 53, verse 11, and it's known by the fruit of the Holy Spirit who will take those things that Christ has accomplished, that very life that he's made ours, and he will show us the fruit of it in Galatians 5, in verse 22 and 23, there's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, which is self-control. And against such, there is no law. What would then that law be? That law would be, instead of being under the legal covenant, in my experience, which brings in guilt and condemnation and death, which is being separated and being a non-participator in the life that Christ is, we now have, in place of that, we have Romans 8, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. From what? The law of sin and death. I live under one or the other. Again, verse 3 of Romans 8. For what the law could not do, the law was holy, just, and good, as we say. But it couldn't do in us because all it would do was bring out the weakness of the flesh. So, 
In place of that, God sending his own son in the likeness of, of sinful flesh, which meant he had no sin nature. That's what likeness means there. And again, that's brought out in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Yet, with, yet apart from sin, meaning he had no sin nature. And for a sin sacrifice... That's what it says, not just for sin. For a sin sacrifice, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And how much more? We know much more in Romans, the fifth chapter, in those 21 verses. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who what? Who are not continually walking after the flesh and the dictates of the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so when we look at these verses, and we want to look at them a little precisely this morning and then get into some beautiful uh, content. When it says, therefore, here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, when it says, therefore, it's, it's directing us back to chapters 3 and 4. That's our being. Being justified. Being declared because of Christ and only because of him, guiltless, no condemnation, and completely free in Galatians 5.1. We've been free. You know, for freedom's sake in Galatians 5.1, Christ set us free. And when you are at free and there's no longer a dispute or a war, what do you experience? It's called peace. Peace. Because we've been reconciled. So when it says that, Therefore, in Romans, the fifth chapter, it's going back to chapters 3 and verse 4. Being, being, being literally means to be, to come, to have. It's, it's, it is this, this I, me, E, I, M, I, and that there is that I exist. It is I, the new I. Not the old in Romans chapter 7. Not the old experiential lie in those that are in Christ. Because in Christ we have peace. We have freedom. But it's in him with, a, with our will submitted and as we grow in grace and knowledge. So the word there, I, me, I, is a present indicative. Present. We have this Presently, we have this justification, freedom from guilt and condemnation. And so, we, since we have that, we have the peace that Christ himself won for us. We have it. It's a present indicative. Indicative is this is the mood and the sense of reality. <laughs> we have that. I exist. It is I. What is that? It's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't make void. I don't frustrate the grace of God through trying to mix my thoughts in the flesh and mix it with Christ. I don't make void what Christ has done. I don't do that. Not in any real sense, but only in the sense of a lie and only in the sense of fleshly works, trying to get peace 
not ever getting it, trying to get it when we already have it. It's just the thought life is not right. The experience is not the equal of the, of the position. So again, we're not to know any man after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. Behold, all things are new in him. He's made all we're new. And there in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, out of a new creation, and that's what he's made, Christ has made a whole new creation, a whole new race of individuals that make up the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, and in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30. And we're all individuals in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, that make up that one body in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. So we have that. And out of that new creation that Christ himself has created through no works of ourselves at all, uh, of ourselves at all because in Ephesians 2.8, we were saved by grace and we're kept by it in 1 Peter 1.5. But we were saved by grace and even through faith, dependence, and even that, none of ourselves. We were brought to that place. Even none of ourselves, but it is the gift of God. Listen, oh Lord, please help us, help me. And not of works, lest any man for any other reason would boast. The boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that we may walk individually in what he's made us to be, through a will submitted to him and a proper experience, which is my true position, heavenly position. I don't walk as though I'm on the earth under a legal covenant. That has been done away with in Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that are believed. You know how many are trying to seek peace? And we do in our experience when we don't realize what we want in our experience is what's already ours in our position. It's called righteousness. That's what it's called because that's what justification has to do with. And so when we look at this, when we look at these verses and we understand in our growth in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, we understand that when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, fully mature in Christ, when I became a, a man, I put away all childish things. Not some, all. I put away childish things. And for now, we do, for now, we, de we do see, and do we? Do we even see the foundational truths in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 11? The foundational truth that Christ spoke of. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, when he said, in the future, I will, I will build my church. And no wonder all the power and gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Can't touch, literally can't touch the peace that is ours because we have been justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. And it didn't have one single thing to do with who we are. Furthermore, when we received Christ, we received the fact that he not only died for us, he died as us. He crucified the old in Romans 6, 1 through 6, and then he paid for all of our sins and removed them. In Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, and if you go into eternity and go east and tell me in eternity when you can stop, go west, go anywhere. They're gone. As far as God is concerned in his view of us in Christ, 
And remember, in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. To do so, he would have to remove his, the eye of what his son accomplished for him, for God himself, in propitiation in Genesis 22 and verse 8, to do so with us. And so what we get to here is the word, we are justified. Justified is, is the Greek word dikeuo. Dikeuo. It's spelled D-I-K-I-O-O. One is Omicron, the short O. And the other one is Omega in those two O's, and that's the long O. And what it says here is it means, justified means this. Listen to what it says. In the, in the Greek, in the Koine Greek. It means to render or show or regard as just, to deem to be right, to show to be right or righteous. And it's always and only in the passive voice, the voice of grace. We didn't earn it. We can't merit it. And furthermore, it is Christ in John 1, verse 16, he is the full of John 1, verse 14, I should say. He's the fullness of all that grace and truth is, and we are kept by him. We not only receive him as our Savior, but he keeps us. And when he's keeping us through a submitted will, we have the peace that he is in us in our experience. It's always the passive voice. And in the passive, only we could understand this. We would never fuse justification and sanctification. We would never make it a single thing about us. What I do to keep, what I should do to God and in, in, in best as I can in response to everything that he did for me. Well, everything he did for me, he did for me in Romans 5 verse 6, when I was in an ungodly state and without strength. When I was actively sinning in Romans 5, 8. When I was his enemy, I was reconciled when I received Christ. When I was his enemy. What can I do that Christ hasn't finished? In John 19 and verse 30. We are justified. What does that mean? That means that now we have been placed in Christ. And that is to be placed with consistency with God's own righteous character. God's own righteous character through Christ. And with a view to its manifestation through Christ as a propitiation. He's a propitiation. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, see that you sin not. It's almost like a shocker because of everything we have. That we, we don't have to sin anywhere in the Word of God. We don't have to sin. Sin is in the will, unsubmitted to God through Christ by no longer walking under in submission through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to sin. Sin is in the will, just like love is. Love is in the will. It's a choice. Now, first John 2, 1 my little children, my dearly, my own children, my own in the Lord, one by Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, not our own anymore. Aren't you glad that we're not our own? Aren't you glad that he's made us his? 
my little children, see that you sin not. But if any man sin, those that are in Christ, we, who? We and we only, those in Christ, who have their sins dealt with. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ, listen to what it says, the righteous. And he is the propitiation. Listen to what it says, for our sins. And it doesn't say, like it says in certain translation, and also for the sins of the world. Sins is italicized. It's an interpolation. It doesn't belong there. Because nowhere in Scripture did Jesus pay for the sins of the world. He paid for the sins of those that received Christ who did it for them individually. That again is brought out in the types in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4 and Leviticus 16 verses 1 through 7. Now, this is what it says, a propitiation. Propitiation here is helisterion. He's an expiatory. He's an expiatory. Who's that? It's an atoning or reconciling victim. It is, has to do in the type of the mercy seat. The mercy seat in Exodus 25 and 17 to 22. The mercy seat in the type fulfilling who Christ is. And that's why in James 2 and verse 13, mercy rejoices against judgment for the believer in Christ, for one who's been crucified and has their sins dealt with, but not for anybody else. That's why there's a great white throne judgment in Revelations chapter 20 and verses 10 to 15, specifically 11 to 15. And so Christ, through his Notice that it is, through, it is through his expiatory death is the personal means by whom God shows the mercy of his justifying grace to the sinner who believes and who believes only. Expiatory, you remember what that is, right? It's, it's, it's the expiatory, you've heard these terms possibly, the expiatory, the vicarious substitutionary work of Christ. And vicarious simply means one who suffers in the place of another. That's what Christ has done for us. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16 go into that very, very clearly. That's why we can run to find mercy because it's a throne of grace, it's no longer a throne of judgment. We don't face, because of Christ, God as a judge, but as a loving Father, ready to give His children complete mercy. And mercy is God not putting on us what we deserve to get. So He subtracted what we deserve to get in mercy, and He placed that on Christ, who is in type that mercy seat. That mercy seat, and again, it's brought out so beautifully all through the types and in some places in Exodus, specifically in the book of Leviticus, to prepare them in numbers for their journey to go through the world and never settle down on their way to the promised land. And of course for us, our promised land in that type is Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in him are yea and amen because he fulfilled them all, only he could and only he did for those who believe. Now, his blood here, his blood stands for, and a lot of people have a problem, and I remember it from years back, even back as far as the 80s, was the blood of Christ literal or was it not? And the answer to me scripturally 
in my own personal conviction through the word of God is yes, most assuredly it is. Because the blood that is passed on in Romans 5.12 is in the blood. The life of the flesh in Leviticus 17 and verse 11 is in the blood. And the sin nature was never passed on in the womb of Mary, that 14-year-old peasant girl. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, his whole humanity, and the blood that sustained him. And remember, even in, in medicine and in science and in doctors, that the blood of the baby is separate from the blood of the mother. But there, the sin nature still is passed on, even though it's separate. But in Christ's case, it was not. He never had a sin nature. Again, Hebrews 4, verse 15 brings it out clearly if I understand the original languages. And none of us do apart from Christ teaching us. And none of us can keep the truth of it without experience experience and a reality with a will that's constantly submitted to him, not thinking that we can even hold the scripture by ourselves and understand it because in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, none of us know anything like we ought to. That means we're going to continually grow in that love that we'll never come to the end of in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 because it's by Christ in 3, 19, 20, and 21. And that's why the church will be without end. That's a fact. We married Christ when we received him. Okay, You don't ever hear that in the Old Covenant. No one ever married their Messiah. Okay, He rules and reigns over them. He is the fact that they are born again. There's no question about it. But they are not married to him. We are as the church. The church will never be done away with. And even as much as the whole earth will never be. And that's Ephesians 3. In verse 21, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 4, and Isaiah 45 and verse 18. World without end. Now, getting back to this, and not getting away from it, his blood stands for the voluntary giving up of his life. By the shedding of his blood, an expiatory sacrifice under divine judgment, that righteously, that was due to you and I as sinners. Faith being the sole condition on man's part. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And Romans chapter 4. Read those first eight verses in Romans 4. And read Romans 11 verses 5 and 6. And it's called by, okay, by, and it was by Christ, the Greek word N, E-N, and it's in the instrumental case. The instrumental case. The instrument was the blood of Christ, his sacrifice poured out on Calvary. That cause was the very cause and proper effect of being cleared of all guilt and condemnation, which is justification. Again, and then when we have that, when we have this acquittal for Christ's salvation, and he gave it to us. Remember, it was his salvation. You don't earn it. You don't keep it. You don't do anything to try and please him. The only one that ever pleased the Father in Matthew 3 and verse 17 and 17 and verse 5 of Matthew was the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You listen to him. And when you listen to him, you hear the voice of a true shepherd and what he's accomplished for you in John the 10th chapter in those first 27 verses. And thank God 
that it even goes into for us in terms of confessing our sins, what we're not and who he is and what he's accomplished in 1 John 1, 9. That goes into the chapter of the 13th chapter of John in those first beautiful verses and even those 35 verses in John the cleansing and washing our feet, not getting born again, not losing our salvation, but cleansing our walk so that we have fellowship and experience the peace that's ours as we walk through this earth and our walk, our feet do get dirty because we walk in in this world system, but we're not of it in John 17 and verse 16. We're not of it. So it is that that Christ did. That was due to us. And what we have is based solely on Christ himself. Everything. The growth, the fruit is his. Why do we think it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 and 22 and 23? What if I don't know in a proper experience? Then I want, I think I have to produce that fruit to have the peace with God so that he will accept me. When I'm already in Ephesians 1, 6, accepted in the Beloved based upon what he's done. That is the fruit, again, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that's the fruit of the travail of his soul that he accomplished on Calvary in Isaiah 53 and verse 11. That's why it says in Psalm 92 and verse 14, they'll bring forth fruit in their old age. And that's why it says in Hosea 14, verse 8, their fruit is from me. From me. And so, again, there's justification and understanding what it means. We have that acquittal for Christ's sake because being the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as a judge, we have been acquitted. That's brought out in the type in Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Joshua is the high priest and he's standing experientially in, in, in the wrong kind of a garment before Christ. And it's told to get rid of that. And again, that brings in the prodigal too. In in, uh, Luke 15, verses 11 uh, to 32. It brings in that beautiful teaching and the whole preponderance of the scriptures. Because again, what good is our Bible? What good is our teaching? What good is it without Christ? Take Christ, his person and his work, whether in type or in factual accomplishment. Take it out of there, and what do we have? We end up trying to do for God what we can never do. Never. He's done it. We have that acquittal. We have the pronouncement. We have the declarative statement of the highest and only authority of the sinner who was guilty in himself but declared to be righteous by God himself based upon his own righteousness that we have in Christ. That's why it says in Psalm 11, verse 7, the righteous Lord loves righteous. That's why in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous because in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, Christ is our righteousness. Why am I talking about and why would God speak to us so much about righteousness? Because most Christians, when we're not taught right, and when we don't function in truth through a submitted will, then even what we may be able to declare what we're not submitted to and dependence on, we have a bad experience. The experience is not the equal of who Christ is in us. Listen, we're in Christ because the reason is, is Christ is in us. Read the first three chapters 
of the most wonderful, highest position of the believer in Christ in the first three chapters of the epistle to Ephesians. It's called the heavenly, high epistle. He's above everything, and we are in him. Boy, we need to learn that. Boy, how much natural thinking in the experience gets in the way. Thank God for his love, his grace, his loving chastisement. So we have that. We have that. We have the highest declarative statement of the highest and only authority and that we are absolutely righteous because whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is completely justified of all things. Really? Yes. Listen to this with me, and I'll listen to it with you as the Holy Spirit teaches all of us this morning, every single one of us. And in Acts 13, Acts 13, verse 38 says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, that man Christ, is preached unto you forgiveness of sins. Oh, God, please forgive me. I don't have peace. Oh, my son, you're forgiven, but you need to confess it. The son, the prodigal, was on his way back. The only way he was on his way back was God had already done a work in him before he left the house. He just didn't know the one that did the work. Boy. Because the one that left the house thought he could do it, take his inheritance and do it apart from dependence on his father. But they even came to himself because God had already done that work in him. And he was able to come back. Of course, he was mixing his thoughts with the father's thoughts. He, he wanted to, he was, he was literally preparing his thought life to meet his father. Do you think he had peace then? Do you think I have peace when I don't base my whole proper thought upon the fact that God has already made me righteous. You know, most Christians, they're trying to seek peace, and what they need is righteousness, and they have it in their position, not in their experience. They just don't. And that's all of us in our growth. So again, thank God, we have pronounced to be guilt-free in Christ. We said before, you could say to a Christian, just as much as are you born again, you could ask them, are you guilt-free? Because God has declared us to be that in Christ. Would Christ have ever risen from the grave? I'm going to read the rest of this in Acts 13. Again, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Why? And by him all that believe are justified from all things. See, it's not my thoughts apart from him. It's not my experience. It's not my bad feelings. It's not what someone says about me outside of Christ. It's not how someone treated me in a bad way. It's not that. Those things, when I don't understand justification, lead to the blame game, lead to works. I'm trying to find peace and not knowing that I already have it, that I already have it, and it's mine, and now I have peace. Because if Christ is my righteousness, and he is in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, if he is my righteousness, then is he not my peace? In Ephesians 2 and verse 14, that he won 
and Colossians 1 and verse 20, through the blood of his cross, his sacrifice, becoming that expiatory, vicarious, substitutionary reality. That reality that's mine, based upon Christ. In the passive voice, I didn't earn it, I just simply received it. That's why when Adam fell, of course, God never took away his will. Love wouldn't do that. Because love is in the will, given and received, and given back in obedience. And so as we begin to finish this up, thank God that we have this, that the reality is in Romans 3 and verse 24, we are justified, and that's why we're being justified. That goes into justification, which enters into positional sanctification, can't be changed can't be changed. Christ set himself apart in John 17 and verse 19. He didn't do that. He didn't have to do that for himself. He did have to do it for us in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Who is the means of our sanctification? Christ, who's accomplished it already, and he did it when we couldn't do a single thing, and there's not a single thing we can do to experience it properly until we constantly learn faith, dependence, and obedience. Then we do have peace. What I want is God's presence. How many need God's presence? Oh, I just thought of it this morning. Oh, God, more than anything, more than anything, I need your presence. Well, how do we get there? Can a person who's not righteous be there? Will they have then peace? If my experience is not the equal of the position that Christ is in me and I in him, then do I experience the fact that he's already made me righteous? If he hasn't, then something's missing. I need to find it. And I need to get peace. Because that's only, peace is literally, peace is based upon righteousness, being met, the very righteousness that God is. We do not face him. We don't face God anymore as a judge. God, he's a loving father. Jesus said, and he told Mary, he said, I want you to go tell them. Mary, who met Jesus in John 20, she didn't know who he was at first, but he gave her the, he gave her the message in John 17 and verse 20, I want you to go tell my disciples. Where were the disciples? They were in the upper room living in fear of the legalists, the Jews. In John the 20th chapter. But he said, I, before, I, before he even got there, and he did get there, by the way, and he spoke peace to them in the midst of their fear. But he said to, to Mary, I want you to go and tell my disciples that I'm going to my Father and my God in an exclusive way that, exclusive way that only he could go. And then he said, and to your Father and to your God. I want you to go tell them because they're living in fear of legalism, fleshly works in legalism. The enemy's causing fear and there's no fear in love. And when I'm loved... In God, in his presence, because in John, 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. And when I'm in his presence, in a proper experience, because I am righteous based upon my position in Christ, I experience the peace that I have with him. And she said, and he said, go tell them. But then he himself, what they shut, what they were using to shut out the, 
shut them out. And they still had fear, but they were shutting out the Jews, the legalists. Jesus walked right through it. You know what his message was to them? You know what his message is to us? Peace. Peace. I'm your peace. And I give you peace. I am not only your peace and justification and sanctification and because I've been glorified in you in me in Colossians 1 and verse 27. But I'm going to prepare a place for you in John 14, 2 and 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Trouble keeps peace out. Does. We have peace that guards us in Philippians 4, 7. It's like a sentinel. It keeps us in God's presence based upon that righteousness that's ours and keeps out what's on the outside that should never come in. It's the eye of the hurricane. We have that peace. We have that beautiful peace there. And uh, those are different words for peace, but they all reveal Christ, who we are, who he is and his person and the work that he's accomplished and who we are in him based upon what he did completely for his Father, to us, and for us, in place of us. And so we are justified. We are justified completely. And that's what it's saying. That's what it's saying in Romans, the third chapter. Remember we said the therefore in, in, in Romans 5, 1, the therefore goes back to Romans chapter 3 and verses 4. And I'll tell you the, the uh, preponderance of it leads to this. This is, this is Romans 3 and verse 24. Being justified. Being just. That's our proper being. That's our proper image. In our proper image, there's no guilt and condemnation. There's not even any shame. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, even those, their faith in the old covenant look forward, ours looks back, theirs, and that's why he, Job said in Job 14 and verse 17, he sewn up my iniquity in a bag, that's why it says, who's a God like unto you that passes by iniquity in Micah 7 verse 18, buries it in the sea of forgetfulness in terms of him not treating us after it, but it all went on Christ. Past sins and all ours, all went on him and whosoever would receive him. Again, to declare his righteousness for the remission or the passing over of sins. See, the when it says the passing over of sins, he's going back to the old covenant here. Even them. Was God being, was he being loving and, and righteously when he bypassed this? Yeah, because of the sacrifice in Exodus 12, 1 to 13. That's why he's called the Passover lamb. He passed over judgment that should have gone. And if anybody wasn't in that house with the bloodshed on the two sides and on the lentil, and they weren't inside feasting on the lamb with bitter herbs, and bitter herbs is, yes, there's misery and hatred in my sin, and I need to know it so that I can feast on the lamb. Because if I don't, that's what I'm feasting on. There I'm trying to find the peace that's already mine. And that's the types that it goes into. So as we continue here, and we continue, that's, what it, that's the summation of it. 
in 3, 24 and 25, right? That sins that are passed through the what? Forbearance of God. That's his long-suffering and mercy. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. Who fulfilled? Did God himself, dealing with the sin question, in, in Genesis 22 and verse 8, did he need to be propitiated? Yes. My son, God will provide himself a lamb. That's propitiation. Some have turned it, termed it like in years past, and I studied certain men of God, like Lewis Berry Chafer and others, they'll say that's the Godward side of the cross. Propitiation, reconciliation is the manward side. I say everything is his side. <laughs> Everything, everything has to do with him. He does it all, every single bit of it. Though I have, and thank God, four men that God used, like Lewis Berry Chafer, in my very early years of the 70s and very early 80s. Although I do thank God for him and the truth that God did give him. Verse 26, to declare, I, I say at this time, his righteousness, then that he might be just. Was God just in passing over those sins? Yes, because their faith looked forward to the cross. And the justifier of him that believes in Jesus, now crucified, that's us. Then we have Romans chapter 4. The culmination of 3 and 4 is the therefore of Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Here's the culmination of, uh, of chapter 4 of Romans. But for us also, to whom it will be imputed, if we believe on him, in terms of salvation, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, listen, who was, past tense and finished, delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. Do you know why there's a resurrection? Do you know why Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father? Because for you and I in him, there's, God is completely and utterly satisfied and glorified far more than if even Adam never fell in a much higher way. That's something they never knew, the enemy, Satan and all his demons. They had never known that because in 1 Corinthians 2.8, they never would have crucified him. But those things to be revealed to us, we need to know the things that I can't see nor ear can hurt. And neither can they enter into a proper experience, even though they're ours in a position. The things that God has prepared for them that love him. Because, listen, we need to have them and be kept by them, by God the Holy Spirit teaching us about who we are in Christ. And that's why, too, finally in 16, we have the mind of Christ. We have it. And it's pure peace. And so as we wrap it up here uh, this morning, we can see that. Now we see also, we see also in Romans 8 and verse 1, that's why it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are, that are in Christ. In certain translations, like I have in my King James here, who, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit's been crossed out because it's not in the original Koine Greek New Testament. It is not there. Because I am positioned in Christ. And God never removes his eye from the righteous, meaning he never sees me in my sins. He'll deal with them, but he doesn't treat me after them. Listen to that. Oh, God, listen, Ed. God does not treat you after your sins or your failures. Past, the enemy tries to use it, present and future. And God forbid, it's only grace that teaches me. 
It's the grace of God that has appeared in Titus 2, 11 and 12 that teaches us. Grace is only our teacher. It's Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live righteously and soberly in this present evil world system and to be separated unto him in, in experiential sanctification like we are in opposition, separated from the world. And so thank God as we truly do begin to finish this again in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation to us. Justification here in Romans 8.1 is presented as a as no merited condemnation. We have no, condemna no condemnation. And if I experience that, would I experience peace? No. Would I experience it? No. No. But when I try to merit it, will I ever experience it? No. Because it's already ours in Christ. All you're doing by doing that is adding unto something that Christ finished already to God's perfect satisfaction, his Father's perfect satisfaction. So that's what's brought out here very, very clearly in these scriptures. It's presented as no condemnation based upon a non-meritorious grace and faith that's ours. It is ours. And then we can even see that. That justification, okay, that justification there is a is a participle of the of that particular verb, which is literally justifying. And what do I mean by that? This is what I mean. This is Romans eight, verse thirty three. Romans eight, verse thirty three says this: Who will lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that already justified. <laughs> Who's going to try and put guilt on you? Who's going to try and tell you now? Jesus did all this. Now you have to do this. He did it, but you've got to keep it. If you don't, you're not having fruit. If he's not Lord, then he can't be Savior. See? Hopefully I see it. Hopefully I see it. God, is, God that justifies is more literally in the original. God is the one justifying and the stress is upon the word God. You're going to argue with God? I don't have peace. Well, as far as God's concerned, we have it. You're going to argue with God? Yeah, we'll just be like Job. We enter arguments with Job, with Job, and that can even enter into being a fruit inspector in other believers' lives, by the way. It's just an argument with God. You did something they didn't. And you're going to enter into arguing and you're going to seek to justify yourself based upon your own self-righteousness and that you'll find in Job 32, 1 and 2, Elihu is the type, had wrath against him, had anger, had anger towards him, towards him. So again, as we begin to wrap this up, and we're going to continue on this because this is, this is so phenomenal. Now, I, I want to continue in it because I so deeply need it. I so deeply need with you to be taught by, our pre by the Holy Spirit about what our precious Savior has accomplished in giving us so much, so much. We have a Father. 
through Christ. Justification is primarily and foundationally and gratuitously what? Gratuitously what? What is it? By faith, dependence. And so subsequently and evidentially, is it by works of the flesh or works that Christ has accomplished? What works are we talking about? What were the works of, that Paul was talking about? What were the works that James was talking about? In James 2, 17, 20, and 26. Many of those that don't know perfect, settled righteousness and peace with God will teach those and use those verses that you have to do something to prove to yourself and God, that Christ is your Lord and your Savior, based upon the fruit that you have to produce. Here's the life of Christ, now you produce the fruit. Does that make any sense? I don't know, you ever read John 15, 1 to 5? What do you do with that? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Any branch of me that doesn't produce fruit is hacked off. That's John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Because can we receive anything? Can a man receive anything except to come from heaven? John 3.27, it wasn't that Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He descended. Came from heaven. Brought us all this beautiful truth. This heavenly truth. That's ours in Christ. So justification is a wonderful thing. It's a real proper experience based upon a proper image with an inward dependence on the person and work of Christ that results in a proper outward display and manifestation of Christ himself in the individual. We're going to get into this on Monday and we're going to see how that there is no contradiction between what James teaches about faith and works and about what Paul teaches about faith, faith and works. And we're going to get right in to continue in this in peace. The fact of the matter is, when I am searching for peace that I don't properly experience, I've left the foundational truth that I am made the righteousness of God in me and it didn't have a single thing to do with me, we'll see it. We'll see it didn't have a thing to do with me. It was done for me. That's Romans 8.31. God for you. Who against you? Do you know the, how the enemy wants to make the flesh in us to be so against who we are in Christ because he hates Christ? It's not really, honestly. I need to learn this. Again, it's Galatians 5, verse 6. It's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. That avails anything, but it's a faith that works by love. And all it's saying is this. Listen, and God's teaching me, and I'm closing with this. Ed, it's not what... It's not primarily what you do and what you don't do. It's that you've lost dependence upon the work that's already finished it for you based upon righteousness, and now you lack peace in your experience. And now you're trying to seek peace when all you need is what you already have, perfect righteousness in Christ. And that's why, when, that's why we can confess sin in 1 John 1, 9 and get right back. Get right back. Get right back and continue to set the Lord before my face. In Psalm 16, verse 8. That's facing him face to face in growth in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. 
and enter into the presence properly through grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18 and in and, and, and growth and seeing who I truly am in my proper image. So Father, we thank you and praise you for uh, this truth and, and just thank you for what you've given us, for what we could never know on ourselves. You've never given it, ever. You've never even given it to us to know by ourselves. So we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.